we just sang this kind of a twist on an old faithful Christmas tune, you'll be kind of shocked because we had no, no, no conversation about it except that he asked me if I was still talking on joy. That's it. All right? So that's kind of cool. Um, there, there's a, some of you may remember, how many guys in the class, anybody in the classical music who, who likes, like, you know, who does, nobody does? I'm not surprised at that. Um, back here in the corner, I see a couple hands. All right there. You guys may recognize the words of this song written by a guy named Bach. Jesu, joy of man's desiring, holy wisdom, love most bright, drawn by thee, our souls aspiring, soar to uncreated light. Word of God, our flesh that fashioned with the fire of life impassioned, striving still to truth unknown, soaring, dying round thy throne. Through the way where hope is guiding, hark what peaceful music rings, where the flock in thee confiding drink of joy from deathless springs. There is beauty's fairest pleasure, there is wisdom's holiest treasure. Thou dost ever lead thine own in the love of joys unknown. That's a, that's a song entitled, Jesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. He is our desire. Our great joy is found in Him and Him alone. And with that song, uh, those words, we, we think forward. i got to ask you a question today. Do you walk in expectant joy? Do you have joy in your heart that expects something? Is there expectation in your soul that creates an atmosphere, an attitude for joy? Because if you give in to our culture... You will expect nothing but aggravation and gloom. If you give in to the, to the atmosphere in some of your families as you approach Christmas, you have nothing to look forward to. If you expect a good report from the doctor and it does not materialize, you may find that there may be no joy. But the scriptures tell us we can have expectant joy. Some of you ladies, a lot of you ladies, I look around the room, understand what it means to have expectant joy. Knowing that there may be some difficulty ahead, but understanding that something's coming down the road that is worth all of the pain and all of the trial and all of the difficulty, there's great joy waiting and you're expectant and you are expecting, am I right? And joy fills your soul, irregardless, and, 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 and that's not a word, is it? I always use that word wrongly. It's regardless. Irregardless is like a double negative. It doesn't really make sense. Regardless of what else is going on, joy can be full and overflowing. And Belinda, the teacher's like, I'm so glad Aaron fixed that. I caught her, look. I arrested her. She'll be back. Okay. And I made her so mad about my language, she just got up and left. Do you see that? Huh? But I'm going to keep walking in expectant joy that she's coming back, okay? Joy is something that causes us to be expectant, and it causes us to grow. And if you will turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, we're going to do like we did last week, and we're going to zoom into a couple pieces and then zoom back out and look at the rest of the scripture, okay? Expectant joy. You look at the, at the second part of 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 3, the, 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 the very end piece of it, it says, Now we live with expectation. And if you zoom down to the bottom of verse 9, the last part of it, you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Sounds like some words I just saw on a screen. You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. You live. We now live with great expectation. This word rejoice is kind of a funny word. Because some of you would not, would not necessarily associate it the way it's associated. It literally means to jump for joy. We jump for joy... We jump for joy. What does that mean? We get expressive about the joy that's waiting on the inside of us because we have expectation. So if you walk into a church like Church Triumphant is and the people are crapping and screaming and Alice is going nuts during worship and you're like, what is that all about? It's called having expected joy. We rejoice and it comes out because we can't help it. We rejoice because God has been really good to us. And there's some kind of expression that has to result out of that. We, we don't know what else to do, and he has been really good. And so we jump, we leap, we spin, we wave flags, we holler that men make no sense whatsoever and hoot and like we're at a ball game or something like that. And you go, oh, what is that? All? That's because there's this thing on the inside of us that just won't stay down. Huh? just won't stay in there and we jump for joy the next word in there is this it said it's glorious and the word there is um the greek word doxazo and it means to attribute high rank to for it to be wonderful to have exceptional value we jump for joy and it's wonderful we jump for joy because we're in this season of christmas right we've tra- we, we've moved can you believe we're into december already is anybody shocked it's December the 4th today. What is that? And we think of that piece of scripture in Isaiah where Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah. And he says, his name shall be called what? Wonderful. Oh, man. We jump for joy because we have this Savior and he's wonderful. And it's a wonderful joy that we have that causes us to jump that causes us to leap, that causes us to rejoice and holler. He is wonderful. This joy inside of us is wonderful because he's wonderful. There's a joy inside of us that's wonderful, and we can't, it's glorious. Huh. There's a, a lot of football playing going around these days, and there are guys who run into end zones because they have a piece of leather in their hand, and they act like a nutcase, and they think that's wonderful. Because they just scored a touchdown and got six points. And in three years, nobody remember they ever did that. Maybe. I do know some guys who are like walking sports encyclopedias. I'm going to tell you what day, what time, what temperature, what the barometer was that day. And what the point spread was prior to the game. What the final score was. And how many yards the guy ran for the final score to win the ball game. I know guys like that. But th- th- that's the exception, not the rule. 
And they think that's wonderful at the moment, and it's glorious, and all the cameras are on them. And they'll get played over and over again for the 24-hour segment, top 10 plays of the day on ESPN. But I want to tell you something. that the, the, the wonderful thing that goes on inside of us, dude, it's, it's amazing, and it's glorious because it's not temporal. It's glorious, and it's wonderful because it's eternal. We celebrate Christmas. We have great joy. What did, what did, the, what did the, um, the, the, the angels, sorry, I haven't had a lot of sleep overnight, so um, I got here late and all kinds of stuff. And those angels came and talked to the shepherds. And what did they tell them? We bring you good tidings of what kind of joy? That shall be to who? All people. And all people doesn't mean just the people in and around Jerusalem at that time. All people meant all people. From, 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 etern- from, from, from time past to time future, all people would rejoice in that great joy. That's better than any football play, I promise. And I, I dig sports bad. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I like to belly bump with the best of them and stuff like that. But I'm telling you, when we compare that to what Jesus has given us, nothing else compares. Nothing else makes a difference. And he said, this, and, it's, and it's inexpressible. Oh, man. The word inexpressible means unutterable, unspeakable, indescribable. It means to be too great for words. That's why we jump, because the words just can't get it for us. It's so glorious that the words just can't be fabricated to make really sense of it. It just kind of comes out, and we, we can't really express it verbally. We're trying to find the vocabulary to make it fit and to make it work, but it just doesn't. It's too great. It's beyond Oh, don't you love that kind of joy? Aren't you, doesn't the person of Christ make a difference in your life to such a degree that there's something brewing on the inside that's got to get out? But even, even though when it tries to get out, you really can't find things that make sense of it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the kind of joy that we have in this thing called Christianity, in this relationship with this person called Jesus with our Heavenly Father, who knew... Oh boy, I'm getting ahead of myself. The reason we have great joy is because He is with us. Look at verse 2. Jump back to verse 2. The reason you can live in expectant joy, like Peter... You know what I think is neat? For the last few weeks, we've been looking at this guy named Paul. And all the stuff that he went through, and the joy he talks about. And now we... We, we kind of link arms with one of his compadres. And that guy named Peter, who walked with this guy named Jesus along the Sea of Galilee and was jerked out of a fishing boat to go follow a guy who would take him on a great adventure. And then this guy would leave, and then Peter's life would get turned upside down, and he would take what Jesus would take a turned upside down life, and he would turn the world upside down using him which came at some time with great suffering and with great things and peter's about to tell us how he walks in this inexpressible joy the things he locks his his self on that it allows him to understand allows him to to experience and and love and and walk in this expectant joy he's about to tell us how he as a guy who followed christ here's something funny about peter what we're about to read i'm going to illuminate you a little bit this guy named peter I mean, what we're about to read, we're thinking, dude, life is great for Peter. He's walking with Jesus and all of that. But you know what? Peter, 
Peter, Peter's walk with Christ cost him dearly. The scriptures tell us uh, that he faced persecution, was imprisoned. And Christian tradition, Christian history will tell us that this guy Peter, as he writes these words, is facing the end of life. And Christian tradition and Christian history would tell us that Peter would, and, and not many days from this, because of the name and the person of Christ, would watch his wife be crucified. And then shortly thereafter, they would crucify him. And he would refuse to be crucified as his Lord because he felt he wasn't worthy. And they would hang him upside down and then crucify him like they crucified Jesus. Which would make it even more excruciating than what Jesus suffered. So when this guy starts talking about joy, it's not some mamby-pamby kind of thing this dude's talking about. It's not some light and airy, fluffy kind of a deal. It's very real, it's very substantive, it's very strong, and it's very powerful. And so when he begins to tell us what helps him experience expectant joy, it's good for us right now in this room to pay attention. Because this guy knows a little bit about it. Okay? And Peter uh, is getting ready to, to, to encourage this church. I want to read you from the notes in my Bible as we read. First Peter's written uh, to, to, to a, a group of believers, several churches, and it says here, abuse and persecution were par for the course for many who followed Christ in the first century. To comfort and encourage these persecuted believers, the apostle Peter wrote them a letter near the end of his life. And it talks about where they, Peter opened his letter by reminding his readers of, it, of their precious hope in Jesus Christ. This hope far outweighed any sufferings they would endure for their faith. In light of this hope, Peter urged all believers, husbands and wives, masters and slaves, elders and lay people, to live holy lives among unbelievers, thereby giving testimony to Jesus Christ. He comforted them regarding the abuse they had endured, knowing that Jesus Christ had also suffered, but Peter also prepared his readers for even harder times. These sufferings would perfect the believer's faith and purify their souls. Peter begins to write and address these people we've just described. And he, I'm lost, he tells them some things. Verse 2, God the Father knew you. This expectant joy is incited by this idea of this thing that, gives a, that all of us should know and appreciate, this idea of grace. He says, God the Father in heaven knew you, and he chose you. I heard, a, I heard somebody tell me, that, I think it was A. Stephen, matter of fact. He said, I hear people say, I found Jesus, and I tell them they're wrong. He found you. You didn't find him. He found you. He knew you. And in spite of yourself, he chose you. Wow. That... That generates expectant joy. It's incited by that grace. Because you didn't do, you didn't do anything to, to make him love you. You couldn't have done anything to make him want you. You couldn't. And everything you've ever done in your life probably, uh, would, would, if you were him, would go, oh my goodness, what is that? And it's incited by grace. This expectant joy. He goes on to say... He, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him 
and have been cleansed, not because you've done anything good, not because you gave enough in the offering, not because you showed up to church today, not because you, you know, uh, fed some kid through World Vision, not because you testified to somebody at the grocery store line. It's because of the blood of this guy named Jesus, the Savior of the world we just sung about. He goes, may God give you more and more grace and peace. He's chosen you and he's cleansed you through mercy. As he says in verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by great mercy you have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Wow. It's incited by this thing of grace. And I, I love the way Paul writes this because he says, I pray that you will have more and more grace. See, at some point in time, somewhere in our Christianity, we think at some place we live outside the realm of grace. We think that somehow we've done enough to make God love us. And we think we've done enough that we deserve certain things from God. And we, we've done this, and I've done that, and I've went to church that long. And, I've done and, and Paul goes, no, I just hope you have more and more and more and more and more grace. I hope peace from his Holy Spirit is, transcends into your heart that you can't earn, you can't do nothing about, you can't grow enough of it just as there. I hope you have more of that than you know what to do with. I hope you had never realized that you will ever be good enough for heaven. It will never happen. But because you know you're going to heaven, your life changes and you just do things. Not because you're earning anything, not because you think you're better than anybody else, but because God has given you amazing grace. We never get away from that, people. At some point in time, we think, that we've, I've kind of walked beyond that. I, you know, amazing grace, how sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but in our, and, and, and we acknowledge it with our minds, but we rarely ever walk like that's absolutely true. Jesus loves you as much today as he did the day he drew you by that grace. And because you messed up yesterday doesn't change that. But because he loves you and his forgiveness is full and rampant, it ought to encourage you that tomorrow you're getting that thing right that you got wrong yesterday. And because you got that great peace, even though you know you've messed it up, great peace fills your heart because you know what? It ain't about me anyway. It's about him. And I live that way and I walk that way and I talk that way because he is awesome. Woo! I got the willies right now and it's warm in here. I'm sweating. It's grace. It's always grace. It will always be grace. It'll be grace today. It'll be grace tomorrow. It'll be grace Wednesday. It'll be grace next Sunday. It'll be grace after the new year's over. It'll be grace next year. It'll be grace 25 years from now. When you think you've done all you've done for Jesus, it will still be grace. It'll be the one thing that'll get you to heaven. None of nothing else. Ah, is that cool? You have responsibility because of grace and I do not diminish that. But if your mindset is, dude, I'm going I'm to get this thing right, forget that. Jesus is going to love me more tomorrow. He's going to love me more than everybody else. He's going to grant me more favor. I'm going to do Get that. Walk in grace, man. Because you know how, when you start acting like that, when other people don't measure up to what you want, you're going to start going, oh, come on, man. And then forgiveness comes hard to buy. You know what I mean? Because, you, you know, you, you've obviously got it going on. Me and Jesus got this thing happening, you know? Why don't you? You know, you've walked with Jesus for 10 years. What's your problem? You see what I mean? Anyway, it's incited by grace. You earn happiness because some... <laughs> you earn happiness because, you know, we talked about this over the last few weeks. Happiness is this pursue thing we do that, that, that has to do with 
The money in the bank has to do with the job, the promotion, has to do with the, just getting the right spouse or the right, the right yard, the right house, the right whatever. It's, it's getting that next flat screen TV. It's getting that. And you earn that, and it makes you happy for a time. But see, joy is different than that. Happiness might be earned, but joy is received. It's freely given. Woo! It's an operation of the Spirit of God. Oh, that's good. I don't care if you like it or not. It's still good. <laughs> it's an encourage. You know how you know what also you know what also encourages it. It's not just about the. It's not just about then. It's about there. It's not about back there. It's about back there, over there. It's encouraged because we have an internal inheritance. God was good to us and his grace, but also we have something to look forward to. Paul, Peter writes here, look at these words, man, these are awesome. He says, now we live with great expectation, the end of verse 3, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. See, we are walking through the process of salvation. We've been, we've been systematically pulled out of the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of light. But listen, we have not experienced the fullness of salvation just yet. There will be one day that everything God promised will be absolutely true. One day. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no, no, more, no more destruction. There will be no more light, no more darkness of any kind. There will be, but at, in, in this life, we experience that for brief moments. But there, it will be eternal and significant. I, I remember listening, a, a, I don't know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, to, to a message by Andy Stanley, and it made me really think about what, what, what my Christian experience was because he said, he said do you realize Every, every person, every person Jesus healed or raised from the dead is dead now. Let me, let me process that for a minute. Because he said, you know what Jesus was doing? He was just pulling back the veil for the kingdom for just a brief moment. This is what it will look like. This is what you're shooting for. This is, this is and he pulled back what life in the kingdom looked like. So I just want to, I want to wet your whistle a little bit. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Guess where Lazarus is right now? He's dead. Jesus healed those lepers. Guess where they are right now? Jesus wanted to wet our whistle for something that would be eternally significant. And he jerked back the veil for a moment and said, look here. Look here. This is what you hope for. This is what you wait for. This is what will create great joy for you. Look right here. Look right here. You see what it's going to look like? I'll give it to you in the here and now so you can see it. And he let him see it. And today we live knowing that there's, there's that. And it makes us better here. Some people live in such a way that they're so caught up with that that they forget what's going on right now. And there's, we have to keep our focus on that, but that should spur us to be the best followers of Christ that we can possibly be here and now. It's priceless. It doesn't change or decay. The thing about happiness is this. The things we instill our happiness in, they decay. They break down. Thomas, I'm going to tell a story about you. Is that okay? Thomas and Bethany have, uh, he's like, uh, I guess so. Um, sure. Thomas and Bethany just, just moved into a house. 
this weekend. They've been waiting for some time to get appliances in there as part of their, their whole loan deal. It was just a, it's going to be kind of a paperwork nightmare, honestly. And uh, they've lived, it took them a while to get into the house. When they get in the house, it took them forever to get the things situated with the bank because the bank didn't tell them all the details, blah, blah, blah. And Thomas shows up to church, what night was that, Thursday night? And just like he would have been a proud father, he grabs his cell phone. Look at that, Aaron. And guess what it, guess what it was on there? A picture of a refrigerator. <laughs> Dude, check that out. And the, the amazing thing about it was the paperwork was so messed up. They put in for one refrigerator. When they finally went to go purchase it, the one they put on, on the invoice was gone, so they got an upgrade. And so they got this refrigerator in their kitchen. I swear it looks like a walk-in cooler, I promise. <laughs> and Thomas was so excited. But here's the thing. Thomas is happy with that right now. Probably in about eight years, he's going to look at that thing and go, oh, what are we going to do with all this food? Because you know what? It's going to decay. That thing that brought happiness in, the, in this moment will not continue to function just like that. You see what I mean? And joy is different because joy comes from things that are eternal. Happiness comes from temporary comforts. Matthew 18, is that what we're looking at? Yeah, Matthew 6, 19 says these words. It, it talks about that we should lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven, that internal inheritance, where moth, where moth cannot corrupt, where rust cannot destroy, where, where, where thieves cannot break in and, and take away from us. Always and forever, the things that will bring us the most joy are the things that are eternal and, and, and lasting. We could come home, some of you might go home today and some crazy dude who's wigged out on drugs, needs a fix, may have just skyped every stinking pre Christmas present you've already bought and wrapped. Am I trying to incite fear? No, I'm trying to be real. And if you don't have your mind on focus of things that are eternal, to later on today, you're going to have a, have, have a hard time walking in expectant joy. Are you hearing me? God gives us things that are eternal, that, don't, that thieves cannot take away from us, that moths cannot destroy, that rust cannot corrupt. You know, you get what I'm saying? And that's why Peter walked in eternal joy. He wasn't expectant joy. It was because he wasn't worried. He, he maybe at this moment writing this letter knows that, man, certain death is facing him. I don't know if he knows how it's going to materialize, but the reason he still walked and expected joy was because he knew there were better things than what he had right here, right now, that he could count on. And it's amazing. We just sang this, we just sung that, that we, we would call it a Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Did you know it's not really on a Christmas carol? Did you know that? Oh, what's the guy's name who wrote it? Huh? Handel? Was it him? He wasn't writing it in regards to the, to the birth of Jesus. He wrote that song in regards to the second coming of Jesus. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. That's what he's talking about. Not the first time Jesus came, the second time. But somehow, and the, and, 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 and the message makes sense, I get it. But the, 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 the framework from which it's displayed is not from a point of Jesus was here, it's that Jesus is coming. It's, it's focusing on eternity. That's why the, the heavens will rejoice. That's why the fields and all that stuff in there are talking about, and the chains are released and all that, because Jesus will set up his kingdom. It'll be for real, it'll be eternal, and that's how it's going to go down. 
And I sing that song at Christmas because you know what? I, I can bank on, if he said he would come the first time, and he did, guess what, brothers and sisters? Everything he talked about his life coming the first time came, came about, and he says, I'm coming again. He makes promises that he keeps. And so I look at the manger. I'm also looking through the empty tomb, and I'm looking to the parting of the eastern sky one afternoon. That's where it's at. And I expectantly walk in joy because that day is coming. Woo! That little baby in the manger became a king who sits enthroned next to his father. And one day he's coming and going to make things right. If that ain't reason for great joy for all people, I don't know what is. Anyway. Woo! Joy comes from eternal values. Expectant joy endures through present difficulties. And, and that's the other thing Peter wanted them to know. Expectant joy endures through present difficulties. Why does it do that? Because of the first two points. Listen to these words. So truly be glad. When he gets to the end of this thing, you're thinking, what did they have to be glad about? But listen, he says, in light of what I just told you, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Okay? Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And though your faith is more precious than mere gold, did you catch, did you catch that? Your faith is more precious than whatever commodity, whatever high-value thing you may possess. Right now, everybody's telling you, what? Go buy gold, right? Invest in gold. Listen to all those talking radio heads. Every one of them's got an advertisement. Go buy gold. Get out of the stock market. Go buy gold. Right? Jesus, through Peter, says, listen, that's just, he goes, he uses this word, mere gold. You know why Peter says that? Because he has an eternal perspective. And when Peter sees the word gold, you know what he thinks? He thinks pavement. He's thinking, hey, that's a good material to build a road with. Because the scriptures tell us that the, in heaven... <laughs> the streets are made of gold. And so when Peter says, oh, it's just mere gold, <laughs> dude, it looks like asphalt to me. I don't know. Because he's not banking on it. His trust is not in that. His joy is not encompassed with how much he can attain and what he can possess and all that stuff. He's saying, dude, I'm going to heaven. And that's just mere gold. I'm going to walk on that one of these days. Everywhere I walk, there will be gold underneath my feet. Who cares? Wow. It endures because it looks both backward to the grace of God and it endures because it looks forward to the internal inheritance. The reason expectant joy endures hardship is because it, is a, it has a full perspective of life and how it's supposed to be. It looks back at the grace that nobody deserves. It looks forward to the grace we will inherit as, as followers and children of God. And, and he goes, man, I can, I can get through anything. It reminds me again of the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he says, these present trials are but a, a light affliction, which may be, you know, okay, maybe he had a hangnail. But if you read other writings of Paul, he's like, dude, I got beat like three times. I was shipwrecked. I was imprisoned. I, I, was, I was beaten with rods. I, 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 I was stoned and left for dead. And so Paul goes, these are just light. And for us, we go, 
dude, that seems kind of intense to me, really. I, 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 I don't know about how, how light that is. But see, the reason Peter and Paul say those kinds of words is because they got a grip on the grace of God. Paul said, I am the chiefest of sinners, man. I don't deserve none of this. And Peter goes, still remembers that day at the fire. Don't you know Jesus? Oh, heck no. Jesus who? Jesus. You're a Galilean. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't know. What are you talking about? Jesus. What, what, what? Oh. And then instantly, as he remembers that moment, Peter remembers the smell of fish cooking over a fire. He goes, I don't deserve that because I was that at the fire. But Jesus let that smell work. And that's time there's fish cooking over it. And he goes, hey, Peter, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I think I do. Eat my sheep, man. We got work to do. Do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, 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 I do. Let's get to work, buddy. Jesus gave him a chance of redemption right there in that moment. And Peter looks back and goes, dude, I don't deserve nothing, but I also know what I don't deserve. I'm going to get up here ahead. Oh, my goodness. And I will endure anything to be there. I will, I will absolutely walk through whatever. I don't care. I am not stuck on this. I am stuck on that. Beat me up. Call me an imposter. Paul said, I don't care what happens. I'm walking there. You can't stop me. I'd like to take a bunch of you with me. Let's walk together and let's get there. And he looks ahead. Joy endures through difficulty. Happiness flees from difficulty. James 1, 20, James 1, 2 tells us to, re, to, to, to count it all joy when we fall into all kinds of temptation. Here's one of those apostles. These guys, Peter, Paul, and James, would link arms together to change the world. And, and James goes, dude, just count it joy when suffering comes, man. Just count it joy. You know why you've been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ? He suffered all things for you. So it'll be a cause for joy that you're getting some of what he got because he's your Lord and your Savior. And it will, it will work in you, like Peter said, a better thing because it will produce character and character will produce hope. And hope will not disappoint, Paul wrote. And you think, man, they got it all, they're all wrapping around the same idea. I got this expectant joy, not because of me, but because of him. Hebrews 11 tells this story. It actually tells several stories. It, we, call, we would call it the hall of faith. It starts, now faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. The Bible says that, 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 we, that, that, that faith tells us that, that, that those who diligently seek him will be rewarded. And it begins to talk about Abraham and Moses and all these guys who, not for the pleasure of today, but for eternal significance, began to chase after something. And then you get to the end of Hebrews chapter 11. You know what happens in there? The writer of Hebrews, I think, was the Apostle Paul. I'm not sure. I don't know. Well, no one get to heaven. I'm going to ask him, dude, let's solve the controversy. Did you write it or not? It should have been you. If it wasn't you, I'll be disappointed, honestly. But that's okay. He goes, and some of them, some of them were sawn asunder. Some of them died. Because some of them suffered much persecution, much trial, trying to achieve a land they'd not yet put their hands on. And he said they endured. Why? Because they knew the grace of God. They knew the eternity that was waiting for them. Listen, I don't know what you're in right now. I know what some of you are in. But listen, 
According to the Apostle Paul, it's light. According to Peter, dude, you can make it. It's just mere gold. Listen, according to James, it's working in you something greater. According to Paul, it's working in something greater. Listen, right now, don't quit. Don't give up. Be expectant. Enjoy. This is not over. The battle is, is, or in the heat of it, maybe, but the battle, we have victory we already know. We will one day cross the finish line. Wow! We will one day cross over from our faith, will become sight, and man, I can't wait for that. Here's the coolest part about it. This expectant joy is enhanced by our perception of the person of Jesus. It's enhanced. How many of you guys have HD TVs? Come on, be honest, raise your hand. When you go back to watching a regular TV, what's it like? Huh? Huh? Tell the truth, you're like, oh, dude, what is wrong with that? That is horrible. See, when Jesus pops into the picture, he enhances the picture. When Jesus steps into the scenario, he changes the whole look of things. And in, and in verse 8, Peter writes, check this out, this is awesome. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. Oh, now listen to this. And you rejoice right now, having not seen him, with an glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. One day you will cross the finish line and everything that we've been pointing to will be, become sight. The first Corinthians tells us that we, we just see in part, but one day we'll know in full because we'll see him face to face. <laughs> and when Jesus steps into the picture, man, the whole thing changes. How do I know that? Well, I got these stories from the scripture. And again, if, Jesus, if all these prophecies about Jesus came to pass... And he was here, and he lived, and we know he was born in Bethlehem. We walked around and came up to the city of Nazareth, like the Bible says. He walked into Jerusalem on a donkey and all that kind of thing. If all that's true, then everything else about it must be true. And the scriptures tell us there was these three guys who refused to bow at the midst of difficulty. They find themselves, so check this out, they find themselves walking around a furnace. And the king peers into the furnace, and he goes, dude, did we not throw three people in there? Yeah, 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 boss. Yeah, well, we did, we did, we did. Yeah. Well, who's in there now? I see four. And one of them is walking around in there like the Son of Man, the Son of, the son of God. I see him walking around in there. And the Bible tells us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fire. They didn't even smell like smoke. Dude, come on now. Huh? There's this guy named Abraham. God makes certain promises to Abraham. And in order to have a covenant, you have to have two parties involved. But the Bible tells us that because Abraham, because God could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And they have this party, and they make this covenant with this food. And usually, the two parties will walk through together. But Abraham wasn't sufficient to hold up his end of the bargain, so God said, I got to take care of it. And Abraham watches as some, what the Bible calls it, like a burning furnace, walks through the midst of the sacrifice of the covenant. And Jesus was right there. And all of a sudden, those promises that God had made all of a sudden became very enhanced. And Abraham said, dude, I'm on that. Let's walk together wherever this takes us. Whatever happens, let's go. Oh, man, Jesus changes the whole picture. This expectant joy is for real because it's not based on anything but a person who is faithful and true, man. Wow. 
Think about this guy named Joshua. He's getting ready to fight the battle of his life. His mentor has just passed away. He's responsible for leading people. And on the, on the eve of the first battle, he's like, oh, crud, what are we going to do? Is this really going to work? I don't know. And the Bible says as he turns around, there's the captain of the Lord's host with a drawn sword. Now, who is the captain of the Lord's host? Josh was like, who are you? And he says, listen, he goes, my name is too wonderful. <laughs> you, know what, you know what that's saying? That's Jesus about to walk into the battle with Joshua. And he's not standing by just waiting for stuff to happen. He's got the sword drawn and ready for action as they face Jericho. Now, think about this. There's these guys called the disciples who wrote these words we've been reading. And one day, this guy named Jesus tells them, dude, we're going to the other side. Now, for you, I don't know what the other side looks like. For you, it might be some job situation or, or a house situation or a family situation. Maybe there's something, someplace you've not yet arrived to, but you know Jesus said, we're going to make it through. But in the middle of getting there, suddenly, the wind starts to blow and the thunder starts to crack and the lightning is flashing up the sky and the waves begin to and beat against whatever is going on in your life. And the disciples kind of weird out, man. What in the world is going on? And Jesus just happens to be in the boat. Mark chapter 4. And they're weirding out. And Peter, I can see them, dude. I, just, I can see this in my mind because Peter was always the dude who was like nuts. He would do things the rest of them wouldn't do. They all go down into the galley of the ship, you know. You go talk to Jesus. Wait for Who's going to wake Jesus up? I'm not doing it. You do it. No, I'm going to do that. Do you, you see what he did in the temple that one day? He turned all those tapes. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. No, 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 no. And they're, they're, they're having this conversation. And all of a sudden, everybody else steps back. And who's left standing there? Guess it's you're volunteering, Peter. Jesus. Jesus kind of rolls his eyes at him and goes, where's your faith? Jesus comes up out of the boat, walks out to the edge. I'm not even, you know, I think just kind of went, okay, okay, God. Can we show these guys really what's, what's going on here? He just goes, peace. <laughs> and the waves stop. The thunder stops. The lightning ceases. The waves calm out like a crystal sea. Jesus goes, where's your faith, man? I've been in the boat the whole time. And Jesus looks at you and goes, I've been in the boat the whole time. If you don't, un if you don't know who he is, I'd like to introduce you to him. Because I can't do it as good as another guy can. But I want you to kind of listen to a, a little piece of video, a little piece of audio and, a, and some video attached to it. And just think about this person of Christ who, are, who enhances our expectant joy. Would you do that with me? Go ahead, Thomas. Bible says my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. 
He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign and a yoke is easy, and it's firm in light. I wish I could describe it, but yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees they found out they couldn't stop him. Tyler couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Do you know him? Huh? Do you know him? I mean, do, do, do you, I'm asking if you know about him. I'm asking right now, do you know him? Is he walking in the furnace with you? Is he, is he sitting in the, in the boat with you during the storm? Is he the one with his sword drawn during the battle ready to fight with you? Do you know him? Is he the one standing at the edge of the empty tomb where the grave couldn't handle him? Is he that in your life? See, I don't know what you face. I don't know what's going on, but he is the king. And he rules and he reigns. And he was born in a manger, but he didn't stay in a manger. He grew in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And he gained respect with men. And he walked this planet. And he healed the sick. And he, he saved people. And he changed their lives. And then he died. And he kicked the end out of a tomb. And now today he sits next to his father in heaven. And one day he will split this sky wide open. And this earth will not be able to handle him. And things will be different. So listen, whatever you're going through right now, 
I'm asking you, are you walking in expectant joy? Are you walking with, with that, that, that thing? Or the, the, the scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 12, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Are you expectant today? Do you have expectant joy? Are you still trying to earn happiness? Or are you receiving joy? Let me ask you another question. Are you still locked in on the temporary now? Or do you have a focus on the eternal future? Do you, allow it to leave, do you allow it to leave you when you're in the heat of battle? Or the heat of frustration? Or the heat of, of, of argumentation? Or, or, or you, do you allow it to go someplace else? Is he your everything? Do you allow him to enhance the picture of your life by allowing him the opportunity to step into it? Meet him. Trust him. If you don't know Christ this morning, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. He stands with his arms wide open. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And guess what I will do? I will give you rest and you will find rest for your souls. If you don't know you're ready for heaven today, we can make sure that takes place. I don't deserve heaven. You are exactly right. That's why Jesus came. And he will offer heaven to you. I don't deserve a relationship with the heavenly father. You don't know all I've done. I don't care what you've done. It makes no difference. Jesus died for sin once and for all. It's done deal. And he offers the opportunity for you to walk with him. If you don't know Christ, today's the day. Behold, now is the day of salvation, the scriptures tell us. Don't hold back and don't wait. I look around this room. I know most of you. But I'm never, ever going to take for granted that every person sitting here is ready for heaven. Never. I've heard too many stories about people who sat in churches for 25 years and suddenly one day the light went on. I don't understand how that happened, for, how it took 25 years, but sometimes it does. And you know what? Today, heaven can be your home. Just as sure as if you're already there. You reach out to the person of Christ. Let me ask the rest of you something. Are you living in expectant joy? Because expectant joy will change a Christian's life. A person who's already following Christ. You know, expectant joy and helps us to enables us to win people. Can I help you realize something? Your Christianity has to be way beyond an hour and a half on Sunday morning. Way, wait, 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 wait. It's got to be beyond a two-hour segment of a home group during the course of a week. And if you walk in expectant joy, expectant joy will enable you to win the hearts of people because they won't understand and they won't get. And they see their life falling apart and everything crumbles around them. And all of a sudden they look at you and you're like, your life's falling apart too, I know. But you're smiling. What's up with that? And nobody can get you riled up because you just kind of are even and, man, something good's going on. What is happening? All of a sudden you find yourself, you know what? If you walk in expectant joy, you as a Christian have the opportunity to disciple other Christians. Because true discipleship is encouragement, edification. And what happens if, like, Jim knows uh, that I'm having a rough time, and he sees me not walking around like, oh, woe is me, man, life's crap, I don't know what to do. And, and, and I go, dude, life is really horrible right now, but you know what, Jesus, we got a home in heaven. And Jim goes, you know what, I've seen what Aaron walks through, come on. And Jim says, I'm going to stand up, we're going to walk together, brother. We're going to disciple, we're going to encourage we're going to go there wherever we're going, and we're not going to look back. We're not going to stop. But you know what else happens? You know what else happens? All of a sudden, me and Jim have walked together for a while. You know what happens? Jim comes over here. 
And I go, Jim, it's been great walking with you, brother. And Jim finds somebody else who needs encouraged. And he grabs them. And then they take off and walk. And you know what happens to me? I get, you know, I'm kind of freed up. James, brother, dude, let's walk this thing together. And Jim and Sherry are doing the thing. I'm doing the thing. And we are walking with Jesus, though we're not all walking at the same pace, though we're not all going exactly in the same direction. We are doing stuff. And then you know what? I go, James, dude, you are doing good, man. Look, I think Chuck needs help. And you know what happens? James takes Chuck. And all of a sudden, I've sent Jim and, into Sherry's life, and I've sent James into Chuck's life, and all of a sudden, Jim, Jim's got Drew by the hand. You see what happened? I didn't even tell him to do that. It just kind of happens. That's what we are about. That's winning people's lives. That's discipling people who need courage. Thanks, Chuck. I love you, brother. <laughs> and then that's getting contagious, because all of a sudden, Jim didn't even know. He's like, dude, Drew, you got to get in on that, brother. Come on. Let's, you know? And he's already, it gets infectious. And it's not happening inside the building of a church. It's happening outside where people live. And it's for real. And it's honest. And it's open. You don't deny the fact that you're in a trial. You say, man, I got joy in spite of it. I don't deny the fact that I got problems, but I got a a Savior who gets me through them. And I don't smile because I'm putting on a front. I smile because, you know what, he lives on the inside of me. And when things are difficult, I can be honest about it, but I know he's with me. Stand up with me if you would. Are you walking in expectant joy? Today, leaders, come. Just leaders, just run up here. Don't be shy. Don't be backward. If you need expectant joy today, I want you to come and get a dose. I want you to come and receive some. Don't stop. And you know what? Don't wait for the music to start for me to pray. Just, you see these leaders coming? Just get here. Get here right now. Come on. Raise your... Who, who said I could, I could use some of that? Now, be honest. We can't be anywhere... Y'all don't need none? Now I know you're lying. Okay, let's have, a, let's have a prayer for repentance right now. Huh? Honestly, who needs, who needs some joy today? Who is it? Now look, don't wait. Don't hold back. Because Jesus often appears with skin on through other people. Most of the time. Brian, come pray with Brown Beth. Come now, just come. Don't, don't hold back. Who else raised their hand back here? Steve. Shelly, get up. See, don't wait. Don't wait. If you don't know Christ, how many of you say, man, I'm not ready for heaven right now? I'm not ready. Anybody in this room say, dude, how about Todd? Either way. You can go that way, that way. The prophecy team's down there. Somebody needs some encouragement, some edification to hear something directly from the heart of God. Get there. Right over there. Nancy and Jesse. Just get there right now. If you don't know Christ, we want to introduce you to him. Okay? Everybody. Right now, if I walk out this door and I end up in a car accident, I'm going to heaven. How many can say that? Can raise your hand and say, I'm, I'm there. Okay. Let's pray. Jesus, we look around this room, God, and we're grateful that today we are on our way to heaven. God, we rejoice in knowing that it's your grace. We rejoice in knowing, God, it's your life. We rejoice in knowing, God, it's your power that's made it possible. And we know, Jesus, that you've planned better for us in heaven than we have right now. And so, God, we don't allow that to detract us or deter us, God. We endure the difficulty and the hardship. Lord, I pray for every person right here, right now, that, Jesus, they would experience the overflowing grace of Jesus. That like Peter wrote, God, they would experience more and more grace and more and more peace. Father, I pray, God, this Christmas time, we celebrate the perfect 
person of Christ, you would make yourself evident in their lives. You'd enhance the picture of what they're perceiving right now, God, and that, Jesus, your blessing would be on them. God, I pray, Jesus, that, Lord, there would be something dramatic about the joy that we have, that it's not just words on a screen, it's not the carol that we sing, it's something, it's a person that lives on the inside of us. You are our king. You are indescribable. You are a sinner's savior, Jesus. You are that thing, Lord God, that makes everything about life right and pure. And so, Jesus, I pray for your people that they would be that. God, I pray, God, where they go this week, joy would be so full that it would be easy for them to start conversations with workers and friends and family and neighbors, God, that joy would fill them. And God, it would just be evident that you're on the inside. And God, it provokes conversation. I pray, God, those others, God, will be in this room, God, and they'll see themselves as walking through something. And, and the, what they're walking through will encourage other people. And God, when they've walked together, that encouragement will be contagious. And we will send one another, God, to go help someone else, Lord. And God, it will be an amazing thing. God, I pray, Jesus, your grace would be there. Your power would be strong. And Lord, we bless you and we honor you, Jesus, for that. Lord, there's none like you. Holy are you. Great are you, Jesus. It's in your great and awesome name that we pray, Lord. Give God a humongous hand clap of praise right now. Go live like you got great tidings of glad tidings of great joy. As these are praying, offer them reverence. And don't start frivolous conversations and things like that. But listen to me. Live with expectant joy. Live with the grace of God ever before you and eternal hope. Go be the people of God wherever you may go during this Christmas season. Go be them. Go be them. You're free to go. In the great name of Jesus.